with Hashem's loving grace, we're now in our third lesson of Likutei Torah 14. Uh, we hope to finish this in four lessons next week, which is right the eve of Hanukkah. It's fantastic because we come right into the where Torah 14 talks about Hanukkah. And that we hope that next week on Erev Hanukkah that we should be finished this lesson. But before we continue, I want to make a teary dedication. We lost three Sadiqim today. And Rabbi will be mentioned the terrorist attack and the entrance to Jerusalem. This is the same exact place we made last year. And some three really beautiful Sadiqim. And one that my age, one the son of uh, Rabbi, well, my son's age, like Rabbi Wolby's age, and one of our, our my, my grandson, Rabbi Wolby's children's age. Every every single, that took three generations. And each one was that tzaddik of his generation. And we could see that what happens, King, King Solomon talks about it in Song of Songs, that Hashem comes down to his rose garden and Hashem picks the most beautiful flowers. When I look at the tzaddikim that left the world today, I said, wow, what the, what the Kalah Yisrael should really, it, 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 there should have been some kind of mega disaster. But the souls of three, three tzaddikim were the flowers from Hashem's garden that really atoned for, for everyone. So one is a, was a religious court judge right here from our Ashdod religious, religious court, a monumental Torah scholar, gentle, fair, most honest person you could meet. Everybody loved him. And people that, that won a case by him, people that lost about that, they, they knew he was fair. This Rabbi Eli Melech, Diane Eli Melech Wasserman, who was 73 years old, he was so humble. He lived in Jerusalem and he would drive the bus. He wouldn't take a driver. He wouldn't take a chauffeur. He'd drive, he rode the bus and he was at the bus stop waiting to come to the rabbinical court in Ashdod for hearing today. So that was one, he was 73 years old. And then we have a, a principal of a girl's school, Reb Sinchana Ifargan. She's from a family. Her husband's a tzaddik, some tzaddik, the Ifargan family. They're, they're Kabbalist rabbis. They're tremendous tzaddikim. She was the principal of a girl's high school. She knew the name of every single girl. She knew what every girl was, where she's holding, what her problems were, whether she cared about every girl. She was like a mother to every single girl. And Reb Tzinifragan, she's gone too. And then our third martyr for today that we're dedicating tonight's lesson to is Livia Dickman. And Livia Dickman, she's married to a 24-year-old Torah scholar. And they've been married for less than a year, expecting their first child. And just to, to know, I, I, I don't want to be graphic, but have to know who were, were this is this is no no thing when Biden tells BB how to run the war go home Mr Biden don't tell me how to how to exist okay this is the existential war Hamas the terrorist Hamas terrorist this is Hamas in Jerusalem Hamas in East Jerusalem that because of uh they they got, were encouraged by the fact that just last night two terrorists came home to Sur Bahar to their neighborhood. It's out of jail. And they can see, okay, they know that uh, they, they go kill Jews. They go into jail and they'll be out of jail. And that's what they're encouraged. They decide to go the next morning, kill more Jews. And this young Rebison, the wife of a Kolo scholar, Livia Dickman, expecting her first child, married less than a year, pure, pure, wonderful, from a wonderful family in Harnoff. It wasn't enough that they killed her. The Hamas terrorists, they emptied an entire clip inside of her. They, they filled it full of blood. These barbaric, she was murdered in the most barbaric way. May her martyred soul ascend straight to him. And Malitz, be a Malitz Yosher, ask for, for all of Kala Yisrael, these three martyrs, ask for Kala Yisrael. And that we say that we should say enough to our, to our suffering. And Hashem should bring Mashiach. We'll start with the blessing. Hashem should bring Mashiach. And the rebuilt Holy Temple and all the in gathering of the exiles speak in our day. Okay, so now in our two previous lessons, we learn that in order to invoke peace in the world, it's necessary to elevate Hashem's glory. It's one reason why it's necessary to fight evil, because when evil 
looks like it's winning. When evil looks like it's succeeding, that's a defamation of Hashem's name. So if someone loves Hashem, this is we say this on Shabbat from the Psalms that King David says that a person who loves Hashem, Hashem a person who loves Hashem hates evil, can't stand evil because evil is go against exactly if the Torah is light, evil is utter black darkness. And this is a defamation of Hashem's name. But Rabbi Nachman is talking about how to get rid of that dark darkness. Rabbi Nachman told us that we accomplish the uplifting of Hashem's glory, and that's what we're waiting. That's what we're waiting for Mashiach for. Hashem, okay, guys, get to work, uplift my glory. And how do we do that? We do that just the way that all the Rebbe and the Torch are doing an outreach. By, we teach others that there's a Shem in the world. This is by way of Jewish outreach. Now, Jewish outreach includes three groups. We're talking about uh, Jewish Bali Chuvas, people that were born into religious religious families and went off the there. I just heard a story this morning about a young man in New York. He came home and he t- said to his, to his parents, he says, Bob, I have enough of this. I don't want this force-fed religion that you maybe grew up in. I'm okay. I'm to, as, as of today... As of today, he says he declares that he's a non-religious Jew. What the parents can do? The guy's in his young 20s. So a week later, the father goes to synagogue, and his son for months didn't go to synagogue. He says, son of synagogue. His son's wearing jeans and a band shirt. said, synagogue. He says, what are you doing here? He says, yeah, now I'm here because I want to be. Then later that afternoon, he sees his son in the study hall in the basement English. And his son's got put up a Gomorrah. He says, What's this? He says, I haven't found anything on the outside better than a Gomorrah, but I'm opening up because now I want to do it. This is people are coming back, and this is this is what they do when they learn a Muna on their own. They don't learn it, they never learn a Muna. That's what a Muna beams is, is trying to do. That's our share and outreach is teach people a Muna that there's a Shemin world because so many people they learn of what the stringencies and they learn laws. But why? Why learn Torah? Why keep Because it's Shemin world, because of Amuna. Amuna gives us a reason to do everything. And Rebbe Nachman is the light of Amuna in this generation. And that's why we put so much emphasis on Rebbe Nachman's teachings. So Rebbe Nachman tells us in Torah 14, these are our marching orders for outreach, for torch and for Amuna beams and for Torah anytime and for Chazak and for all the Kirov organizations. He says, get three, three groups, the Jewish BTs that grew up in Orthodox families and fell off the wagon, and the ones that grew up in, in secular homes. Okay, did you bring them closer? And then the Noahides, and the Noahides, Noahides and the righteous converts. These are the intellectually honest people of humanity that say, wait a second, we put this out, let, let's, let's, let's examine this. Let's let's examine what's going on here. And as soon as an individual is intellectually honest and he looks for the answers, in other words, it's not like we I tell you about the, the Czechoslovakian anti-hero Schweik. Schweik was in the World War I, he's in the Czech army. So he couldn't shoot straight. So what he would do, he would paint a bullseye on the wall. First he'd shoot a bullet in the wall, then he'd paint a bullseye around it. It's not that we have a preconception of what we want and then paint an ersatz truth around it. But it's we want what, what, what is truth? And these are the courageous Noahides and the righteous converts that they have made a search for truth. And you make a search for truth. You want to find the search for truth? Shem's going to certainly help you. Okay, so these are the people that were once very far from Hashem. Now, what does Rabbi Nachman tell us in Torah 14? He says that the furthest somebody goes from Hashem and get close to him, that is the greater sanctification of Hashem's name. Just imagine you take some guy who's uh I know some rock star or some mundial star, this, that is far, far away from, from Emuna. And boy, he learns about Hashem and he starts carrying a thing. There's nobody but Hashem, ain't no bilvado. This is the sanctification of Hashem's name. Okay, this is what Rabbi Nava is teaching us that by bringing people close to Emuna, being people close to the truth of Torah, we elevate Hashem's glory and the sanctification of Hashem's name. Now, uh, we do this, we get them closer. By teaching them what's in the Torah. We have to teach them Torah. But you can't teach Torah if you're not humble. Because you can't even learn Torah 
if you're not humble. If someone learns so that they'll call them a scholar or that they'd be smarter than someone else, that's ego. That's not truth of Torah. And that doesn't go to the right place. So if someone has an egotistical Torah, it won't be able to translate, to transfer it to other people. Because the Gemara tells us that something that comes out of a heart goes into a heart. And if some goes, what's the thing about a humble heart? Water flows into humility. Person has a humble heart, Torah is compared to water, flows from above. Now, if a person is considered himself up on a mountain, the Torah can't flow up the mountain. <laughs> I'm sorry, my brother and my sister, you won't get Torah. But if a person is humble and holds himself like a some low Torah flight, right, that'd be very conducive to learning Torah. And now, so Rabbi Nachman, then, in last week's lesson, we learned the four levels of humility. That a person has to be humble, of course, to the people that are greater than him, to our spiritual guides, their teachers. A person has to be humble to their peers. Now, you sit with your learning partner. You have to respect your learning partner, respect someone's on, on your level, just like you, you respect uh, someone higher than you. And then you have to respect people that are apparently on a lower level than you. You think, they, oh, okay, so somebody, you, you take uh, the cab driver and you're very polite to the cab driver. And the person that's sweeping the street, appreciate him and give him a smile and a good morning and respect him. That's the third type of humility. But the fourth type of humility, a lot of people mess up on. You have to be humble to yourself. In other words, whatever spiritual level that you perceive yourself to be on, you have to hold yourself a little bit lower. So these are the four levels of humility. Now, in today's lesson, Rabbi Nachman is... Rabbi Nachman is the, the, the sole healer of all generations. Uh, if a psychologist or a psychotherapist wants to learn true psychology or psychotherapy, it's going to find it only in Rabbi Nachman's books. Rabbi Nachman tells us today how not to be bipolar, how to be an inner peace, and the disparity, the inner battle, that most people are in inner battle. Rabbi Nachman is going to teach us now why a person is in inner battle and why a person is not peace with himself. Because at first, a person must be at peace with himself before his peace with the rest of the world. Now, if we take the big tyrants in history, this is parenthetical. I'm just saying that would applying what Rabbi Nachman is teaching us. If we take the tyrants in history, look at them. They were all, in the Yiddish, they say, they were all turmoil, inside turmoil. They were not peace with themselves. They shouldn't be at peace with anyone else. And these are the people that bloodthirsty. You've never saw a bloodthirsty person with inner peace. They're all, if you've ever seen, uh, I'll never forget. Never forget. Once I was on reserve duty in Samaria, and in Samaria there was this Palestinian village, and saw the way little kids playing, four-year-old kids, and they're playing in war, and they're playing and killing, and they're yelling, and they're screaming. I want to see if you Google memory M E M R I. It is an information, they reveal the information of what's going on on the other side. They got a boy, they, they had a movie about a Palestine, a, a Gazan kindergarten graduation. So Jesse, if you want to know who Hamas is and what the education is, people talk, the Americans talk about uh, innocent bystanders. There's no innocent bystanders. That the whole population, and, and if you can see the whole population, one of the captives when it came, he, he escaped and went away. The, 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 the other, the, the population turned it back into Hamas. In the four days he was escaping, they finally found him. They turned it back. There's nobody innocent there. And uh, the Torah teaches us that he who is kind to the cruel ends up being cruel to the kind. Okay, so we have an existential battle, and we hope by bringing Rabbi Nachman's light in the world, this is the light that's going to burn the darkness. Take it off. Okay, so just reviewing the le- the letter we left off. We left off at letter Zion. And Rabbi Nachman says, Rabbi Nachman says that the barometer of a person who honors Hashem, okay, I say about honor Hashem, talk to honor Hashem, and Hashem is, is so lofty, so high, now, let's see if uh, if you walk the walk the way you talk the talk. If a person honors Hashem, he's going to honor Torah scholars. He's going to honor people that are masters in Hashem's Torah. They say, well, this is Hashem's Torah. If I honor Hashem, and, and Hashem's for, 
this is this is something a person is honored. So we measure we measure how much a person loves Hashem. Now, take example. We mentioned the arrogant person learns Torah. An arrogant person can't learn from anyone else because he can't admit that anyone else is smarter than him. So he doesn't love Hashem. He loves himself. So you can see the way he doesn't respect. He disparages rabbis, talks against rabbis, talks against Torah scholars. A person like that cannot love Hashem. No matter who he is, that the right away you know the way a person talks about rabbis, spiritual guides, Torah scholars, uh, people that learn Torah. That's it. Even now, uh, in the Israeli army, they understand. They understand. We have the plant here in Israel where guys that are learning Torah, you don't get up from learning Torah. The ones we sent to Zaka, to send to, to, to army, to send a volunteer movement, are the guys that aren't learning Torah. If you're not going to learn Torah, then go volunteer. But the ones that are learning Torah, heaven forbid, don't get up. And many of the guys learning Torah, they have a name of soldier. Okay, this is your responsibility. You build a spiritual protective shell around that soldier so nothing happens to him. And this is Rabbi Nachman says, this, this is a sign of a person that loves Hashem because he loves Torah. All right, so we now continue on. We're in Torah 14, Ot Chet, letter number eight. And Rabbi Nachman says, Rabbi Nachman says something very short and very deep. He says like this, when a person returns the glory to its source, where's the glory? You know, the, the glory is the yira, the awe of Hashem. The more a person has awe of Hashem, wow, the more a person feels Hashem's glory, the more a person brings Hashem's glory into the world. And that was called in Kabbalah. We learned this in, in, in one of our lessons uh, in, Torah, in Torah 2. We learned about the dynamics of prayer. It's called Maim Nukfim. It, it's an, an influence from the bottom to the top. By us bringing ourselves higher in awe of Hashem, we uplift the glory of Hashem higher and higher and higher. And Hashem becomes glory. And now... Rabbi Nachman says there's two types of peace in the world. shalom. Two types of peace in the world. This is a play on words. Rabbi Nachman says the first type of, of, of shalom, the first type of peace is peace in your bones. But it means peace in yourself. Atzamot is the bones. And atzamav is oneself. So they say peace, it can be peace in your bones and peace in yourself. Now, what this is a, a perfect play on words because the prophet Isaiah says that when a person sins, that the sin, if he doesn't do tshuva, that sin will be like an imprint on his bones. And that creates a pain in bone. This maybe would cause arthritis or, or the bone of osteoporosis, some bone disease, who knows? But when a person does tshuva, it erases this impression. So, but it reminisces that all it means also not only the bones, but within oneself. So I translate this as within oneself, not going to play, but that the simple meaning. We're talking about peace within oneself. What does peace mean oneself? Every one of us is composed of two parts. We have the body of an animal and we have the soul of an angel. Nobody else is built like we are. No other creation in the world has these two components. The animals have the soul of an animal. The angels, the spiritual, have souls of an angel. Only we humans, we sons of Adam and Eve, we have this soul and the body. Now, for a person to be in peace, the body and the soul have to work together. They have to be in peace. Because if the body and soul are at war, a person is going to be in inner turmoil. And this is what Rabbi Nachman is explaining us. So sometimes there's no peace. King David, he said this. Uh, he said that, that, that there's no... What King David thought was a, was a sin is for us a, a great mitzvah. King David says, there is no peace within myself because of my sins. So what is he teaching us? When King David is telling like, like this, the way Rabbi Elimelech of Lizensk, the Noam Elimelech, he was a perfect tzaddik, but he would never chastise a person to his face. Let's suppose a person was not honest in business. 
And a person came to Rabbi Elimelech of Lizensk with a problem. And he knew that because of this person's lack of integrity in business has cost him this financial loss. And he'd say, oh, how can I tell you what to do? How can I tell you what's wrong when I'm such a dishonest person and I can't even do uh, decent dealings? And he says, the Rebbe says, as if he did the same exact sin that the guy did. Well, the guy knows that the Rebbe didn't do that sin. He knows he's talking about himself, but the Rebbe does what embarrass him. So the guy's heart breaks and he makes real tshuva. This is what King David is telling us. King David is saying, there's no peace in within myself or again, the plant puns within my bones because of my sins. Oh, wait a second. What, what sins are you talking about? Your majesty, Mashiach, your majesty, King of Israel. What sins are you talking about? I did nothing. Okay. But this is what he tells us. This is what he tells us. This is where we learn this principle from, from him. And later on, again, from Isaiah, because and this is Psalm 38. You'll find that in Psalm 38. So King David says that by way of Yilah, all of Hashem, people translate fear of Hashem, God-fearing person, but it's not, it's more than that. It's awe of Hashem, awe of Hashem, not fear. You're not afraid that Hashem is going to hit you with a bolt of lightning. If awe of Hashem, when you realize how great, how vast, what a compassionate, loving father Hashem is, that he's with you all the time and he can do whatever you want, whenever you want. Wow, wow. And sometimes when you really open your eyes and you see something, let's say something, uh, you were trying to complete a business deal. And for two weeks, you were working on this deal. It didn't work. But then you said, wait a second. I don't think I prayed to Hashem for that. And then in the morning prayers, before you go to work, yes, Hashem, do me a favor. I know it's all up to you. Help this business deal work. And then right away, uh, right away in your company, you make a deal, you get a new contract, you land the contract you've been fighting for it, and you get a much better terms than you were working on. And wow. And you could feel this is a shem. This is a hug from a shem. This is a hug from a shem to Fumani. This is a hug from a shem to David. This is a hug from a shem to Yosef. This is a hug from a shem to Eric. This is a hug from a shem to every one of you. Okay. To show you, my son, my daughter, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And what do we sometimes we complain to a shem? And what do you complain to a shem for? Do you ask for his help? Oh, no. No, ask for his help. That's for self. Hashem does not have any complaint to us. It's a more tractate of Ozer. Hashem does not come with complaint to his sons and daughters that he loves so much. He has one complaint. Why didn't you ask for my help? You know why? Let's look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know why we didn't ask for him to help? Because of our arrogance. We say, no, we don't want to forget. You know about the arrogant person? He says, Shem, find me a parking place. He needs an urgent meeting downtown in front of the bank. And he circles and he circles. He can't find it. There's a meeting. It's not about another minute. And if he doesn't get there on the time, it's not going to do the deal. And all of a sudden, a parking space opens up in front of the bank. So the guy says, okay, Shem, you could go home now. I got my own space. That's the way people think that they think that they're doing, they're, they're solving their own problems. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. A person like that is not going to have inner peace. You're not going to have inner peace because there is disparity between his soul and his body. Okay, his body, which is ego-oriented, his soul, his soul only feels good when it's connected with the Shem. Nothing makes a soul feel good other than a connection with the Shem. Like they say in the Israeli army, Rutsof, pin in, that, that's it, in, finished. That's it. So this is what Rabbi Nachman is telling us in letter eight. Now he goes on. And he says, ah. Now, once a person has awe of Hashem, and a person says to his body, how do you get this peace? He says to his body, okay, listen, body, you are going to be in a grave at age 90, 100, 110, 120. You're not going to make it past 120. All right, let's say, you're one of us, you're not going to, in this generation, you're not going to make it past 120. All right, so your time. My soul, though, is a tiny spark of the Almighty. Just like the Almighty is eternal, my soul is eternal. Just like the Almighty defies time and space, my soul defines time and space. So what am I better uh, investing in? You don't have to be a brain in investments 
to, to know that to be invested in long-term investment, not in the short-term investment. The soul is long-term investment. So therefore, I'm going to use my body as a vehicle to serve my soul. How do I do that? There's 613 mitzvot in the Torah, 613 parts of the body. Make sure that every part of the body is going to serve Hashem. So, you know, when you help that little lady across, the little, little old lady across the street, what you do and you pick up those baskets for and help her across the street, your whole body is doing love and kindness. Your whole body is serving Hashem. It's not the favor that you're doing to the little old lady. And this would be compassionate deeds. What anything we're doing, anything we're doing when it when you when you go to work and you, you make a living for your you make a living for your family. Compassionate deeds. Mom, when you pack that lunchbox for the kids, that's not your kids, it's Hashem's kids. <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling the, the, the mitzvah. It's mind-boggling what you're doing. Your whole body is working for Hashem. And so this is gives us the peace within ourselves. Now, Rabbi Nachman says, what happens once we have the peace in ourselves and we realize the purpose of our bodies, that our bodies are, should be subservient to the soul? Now we have parity between body and soul. And now they're cooperating. The soul understands its job. The body understands its job. Not It's to serve the soul, not to tell the soul what to do. Oh, I want to go to the beach on Shabbat. I want to go to the football game on Shabbat. I want to go to eat at the McDonald's. No, 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 no. Body, you don't, you shut up. You don't do anything. You listen to what the soul tells you to do. Okay, now we do this. Now we do that. Now we keep Shabbat. Now we say Kiddush. Now we do that. Now we do a loving, the deed of a loving kindness. And now we learn Torah. All right. So as soon as the soul is the boss, then there's peace. Then there's peace. And we learn something intrinsic here. Okay, the soul is the good guy. The body, you know who's controlling the body? That's where the evil inclination is. The evil inclination is not in the soul. The evil inclination is in the heart, in the blood. And evil inclination is all the time trying to overcome. What's the evil inclination doing? The evil inclination is doing to the person telling them that uh, he can't be happy unless he looks at the next door neighbor's wife. And he can't be happy unless he has a car better next door neighbor's car. And he can't be happy unless... Uh, He's making more money than the next day. All these things, pushing the body, pushing the body, pushing the body, and pushing the body, not too good, but to pushing the body to, to violate the Torah. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid. Now, once person is strong, that's it. He or she is a warrior, a brave warrior. And the soul says, okay, soul is silent strength. That's the soul. Silent strength. Body, shut up. Body, we serve Hashem. Body, Body, I see Hashem before me always, not you. Okay, fall into line. Where the soul has to be like a Marine drill sergeant, but he doesn't bark. So it's very quiet. Once the soul is the boss, there's a big reward. Rabbi Nachman says that the reward is that a person has inner peace and the person can pray in other words, if a person has inner turmoil, he finds it difficult to pray. Rabbi Nachman explains this. That the, the, the way a person could pray is by way of yira, which is that upper level fear that is awe. And this we say in Eshet Chayel, on Shabbat, Hashem, a woman, a woman, Woman who awes God, because literally they, they say God fearing woman, but it's a level up, upper level of fearing. It's it's awe. A woman who holds the Almighty in awe, she is the one to be praised. Why she the one to be praised? Because she's the one to pray, and she's the one that prays for her husband at the Shabbat candles, and she prays for her kids at Shabbat candles, and she prays for the cop for the hostages at Shabbat candles, and she prays for every Israeli soldier. And her prayers are answered. Her prayers are answered. Okay, and this is the same thing. Uh, her prayers, Rabbi Nachman says, are just like a ritual sacrifice in the Holy Temple. That if those prayers come from a heart that has awe of Hashem, now what has happened, that heart has been taken out of the domain of the evil inclination and put in the domain of the soul and the brain. Okay, so now there's connected that heart that fears Hashem, now it solves, it, it dissolves the disparity, and it makes parity, it makes togetherness 
between the body, the brain, and the soul, the body, the heart, and the soul and the brain. So body and heart come together and there's harmony and the prayers go right up. This really gives an impetus to the prayer. So when a person has inner peace, then he can get closer to Hashem and his prayers are heard. And this is what, this was what Rabbi Nachman explains to us. This is what in Samuel 1, the book of Samuel 1, chapter chapter 1, was said about Hannah. And people say, like some people say, oh, you know, Torah is chauvinistic. It's so stupid. They don't know. They don't know. Torah is the opposite of chauvinistic. Do you know where we learn prayer from? The Gemara and Tractate Brachot says that we learn prayer from Hannah, not from Abraham, not from Isaac, not from Moses. We learn prayer from Hannah. Hannah is the prototype of prayer. The way Hannah prayed in the way Hannah prayed in the tabernacle in Shiloh before there was the Holy Temple. This is the way we pray. Okay, and it's the Torah. The, the Samuel the prophet says, and Hannah spoke from the heart. Hannah was Samuel the prophet's mother. She spoke from the heart. How could she speak from the heart? Because her heart was in perfect sync with her soul that was in her brain. And that's why her prayers were heard. And that's why, look what a son she got. She got Samuel the prophet. Okay, so So now what happens? Once we merit prayer, once we get the peace within us by subjugating body to soul, and that the body is subservient to the soul, and not at war with the soul, but serve the soul. And the soul, they get back to the body. The body be very, very happy. The body be healthy. Okay, want to be a healthy body. People with inner peace are much healthier because the body is not built for anxiety. Then that body is not built for stress. A uh, person with inner peace, he could be under fire, but he won't have stress and anxiety. He'll, have, he'll be challenged. Yes, he'll be challenged. But there's a difference between stress and anxiety and challenge. Stress and anxiety is someone's worried all the time that they come from a lack of a lack of inner peace. And when a person can pray like this, what is the advantage of prayer like this? Prayer that comes from a body and soul that are in peace with one another, a person that has inner peace, this now creates peace in the world, the general peace. Okay. So now. We come, Rabbi Nachman now in, in letter nine, Otet, he tells us about a really cryptic Gemara. Again, Rabbi Babar Khana, we learned in the beginning, we learned two lessons ago, one of his uh, metaphors. And he comes, he tells us another story. This is from Baba Batra, uh, page 74a. And he recounted like this, okay, that a merchant came to him. And said, come, I'll show you the place where the earth and heaven kiss each other. Okay, where heaven and earth kiss each other. Okay, what's he mean by that? Would, it, would, it, would every heaven and earth come together? Or would they kiss each other? So Rabbi Barbara says, I went to see that place. And I saw all these windows. He saw all these windows. So he took his basket and he put it in the window. He had a basket that he carries around. He said, Maybe he was in the, in the market and bought his loaf of bread or bought his veggies, his fruit, whatever. <clears throat> he had his basket and he put it in the window. So he prayed because up there, this is where heaven and earth come together. It's a great place to pray. This is the entrance to heaven. It's leaving the earth and entrance to heaven where they come together. And so he prayed. And when he finished praying, he went to see his basket. It wasn't there. And he said to the merchant, merchant says, what, there's thieves up here? How can this be him? There's threes up here. And the merchant said, no, 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 no. It's because of the zodiac. We're up here on the verge of heavens and the zodiac, while you're praying, the zodiac is the zodiac didn't stop, keeps on going. So the window, you put in the window at the particular time of day of the zodiac. Meanwhile, you finish praying, and that window kept turning. There are new windows. Nobody took your basket. So if you wait till this time tomorrow. And you come back, you're going to find your basket. Okay. So what's the, what's the, what's the symbolism here? Okay, where heaven and earth comes together. What's heaven? It's just what we're talking about. Rabbi Nafasad, heaven is the soul. The soul comes from heaven. And what's the earth? From dust to dust. That's the body. Where heaven and earth kiss, this is the live human being. 
which is within each one of us. This is mind-boggling. Just think who you are. When within you, heaven and earth are coming together. You've got the soul from the earth, the, animal, the, the body from the earth, and the soul from heaven. They come together. So heaven and earth are kissing within each one of you. Thinking with each one of us. All right. And so earth corresponds to the body and heaven corresponds to the to the soul. And then this is this says right here, Rabbi Nachman is he's not inventing anything. The Gomorrah said here during page 91 says this. Sheesh Benam Shalom So when there is peace between body and soul, there you know what's born out of peace between body and soul? Sincere prayer. Sincere prayer, because when a body is subservient to the soul, the soul wants to talk to Hashem. So the soul says, the, the body serves the soul. It says, uh, uh, listen, soul, if you want me to serve you, then I have my needs. Soul says, no problem, body. What would you like? He says, well, I need an income, and I need food, and I need good health. No problem. So the soul now prays for body, for, for body, body needs, which we do. We pray for our income. We pray for our good health. We have this in the Shemunaisli. In the Shemunaisli, there's a prayer for our income, the prayer for the rains. That's a prayer for income. There's a prayer for our good health. There's a prayer for everything we need. It, it, it's right there. We've, we pray for our intellect, Honinadat. There's a prayers for everything we need. We pray for the gathering of the exiles. We pray for rebuild Jerusalem. Everything we need for body and soul. So the soul does great things for the body. Don't think, body, you're going to be a lot better off when you're serving the soul than by yourself. Okay, body, go on your own and and try and uh, try and make a living. Oh, you think you're made, they're making a living? You hit your head against the wall. You need a shem because your income. The Gemara tractate Psachim says the three things come shem: life and death, and your soulmate, and your income. Nobody else but a shem could give you your life. Or nobody in the doctor said so. Person doctor can't say a person has so long to live. No, get out of here, doctor. You're not, you're not a shem. Only shem decides that. That's why I tell doctors and I speak to them. Don't ever encourage people. Don't discourage people. Even if you know, okay. But they say, hey, listen. There's always hope, and and there's you know, the people that have that have beat this rap, and they tell them, oh, eternal disease, and the chances are one. No, tell them that that if they, if they if they do and that they good and they pray good and whatnot. This this you have to encourage people. I can't stand it when doctors make statements like this person has three months to live. They said about my dad, they said about my dad that he had six weeks to live. And I told my dad who wasn't, wasn't religious. I said, Look, dad, you got to do three things. Let's so got to beat this rap. And he took on three simple mitzvot. He gave a coin to tzedakah every day. He washed his hands every day when he got up in the morning. And he threw away his razor blade and used an electric razor. Okay, dad, do this, that. He lived for another nine and a half years. And he beat four different times Nasty Big C. He had it. In it. He had it in his blood. They couldn't do blood transfusions anymore. That the antibodies that we weren't accepting the, the the blood. He had it. He had it. And he had half a lung removed. He had it in his lung, and, and he had a whole shoulder replacement. And he had it in bone marrow. Four different types. Boom. One by one. One by one. One by one. Lived another nine and a half years. So doctors don't tell anybody they've got three weeks. I'm talking about personal experience, and I've seen this so many times with other people. There are people with us tonight that have beat the odds, and there are people in our group, and we know it's a true, it's it's true, it's the real deal. Okay, so when there is peace between us, what happens? Peace creates a window. What are the windows that Rabbi Barbarchano is talking about? Where heaven and soul come together, that's the peace within a person. And then he sees these windows. These are the windows of prayer. These are the windows where your prayer goes up to Hashem and on the way back transfers divine light to you. Because you get that's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. King David says in Psalm 91, Hashem Silcha, that the way you go with Hashem is the way Hashem goes with you. And you uplift your prayers to Hashem, Hashem to give you right back. And it's gonna, gonna be uh uh, you're going to be blessed. And so what did it mean when uh, Rabbi Rahana said his basket got ripped off? Okay, his basket, it denotes livelihood. Pat Basalon, expression for the Gabor in Yuma, page, not, page 74, that uh, a basket is indicative of a person's livelihood. And so it means that uh, Rabbi Barbarachana, he didn't want to involve himself 
and the mundane chases for an income. He wanted to get his income by praying to Hashem. He wanted to give up from the soul. And he wanted, not only that, he didn't care so much about health of his body because he knew if his soul would be healthy, his body would be healthy. So he prayed for his soul. And this is why his basket was taken away. Like his desire for physical income was taken away and it was uplifted. So you should want the spiritual income. And if he gets a spiritual income, the head of the health of the soul, then automatically the spiritual income. Where do we learn this? On a level of Moses. Moses was learning with Hashem for 40 days and 40 nights. And Moses didn't eat. And Moses didn't drink. And Moses' health was fine. In fact, Moses was mighty. Moses lifted up a mountain, put on the head of Og, King Og, who was a giant. Moses was, was the Gemara describes Moses' strength. Moses did not lose any muscle mass by being 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai and learning Torah with Hashem. Okay, so Rabbi Barbarchana's intention was not for his body, but for his soul. And that's what he had in his mind, his soul's livelihood, his soul's healing. And that's what he meant when he said, I took my basket and placed it in the window of heaven, that he took his prayers that are you normally the needs for the body, and he placed it entirely in the needs for the soul, the window that faces the heaven. So after he finished praying, he wanted to take his basket, but he couldn't find it. And what had, what he'd done is that... Uh, He prayed for the soul. He got the soul blessing. But Rabbi Barbarchana was very poor. And if everyone else said, wait a second, does it mean that a tzaddik like Rabbi Barbarchana was an amazing, tremendous tzaddik, has to be rich? And now then why, how is Hashem letting the tzaddik be poor? Oh, yeah, he had spiritual riches. He was greatly spiritual rich. But like Hashem took his basket. His basket, his physical, his physical parnas, his physical thing. And he says, are the thieves here? That who stole his abundance? Who stole his abundance? And then what stole the abundance? There's another play in words here. There's a play in words. We talked about the zodiac is a galgala. And Rabbi Nachman brings the word galgala derakia, the hadra. There is a rotating galgal, a rotating wheel. That's the wheel of the zodiac. That's the wheel of the horoscope. Okay, it's a rotating wheel. But Rabbi Nachman is making a play on words here. And Rabbi Nachman is here. He's alluding to the deepest Kabbalistic things. He's alluding to what we read in the Sefer Gilgulim, one of the 15 volumes of the Holy Rizal's works in Kabbalah. It's called The Gate of Reincarnation. And there it discusses that the sages, not necessarily, they may lack a physical income. Sometimes you have poor story sage. Because of a correction of a previous go round. I mean, a previous go round maybe he wasn't a big tzaddik. And by this time, he's, he's correcting himself. Hashem is, instead of heaven forbid, heaven forbid, giving, giving him a sickness or something like that, Hashem is not giving him a fancy livelihood. He maybe lives in a broken down cabin and, and doesn't have to. It's a, a poor Torah scholar. Okay, but these, he chose to be a Torah scholar. So why is that? Why is that? And what we're talking about, uh, Hashem says that in order, they ask the Shem, that's the Shem, why is, why is uh, Rabbi Padut, Rabbi Padut, and, and the Gemara asks Hashem, why is this, why is this happening? And Hashem says that, what do you want? You want me to recreate the world? I mean, what do you mean to recreate the world? That sometimes for Hashem to give a certain tzaddik a livelihood, Hashem has to bring him an entire new go-round. He has to die, come back into the world again. So what does it mean recreate the world? The Rabbi Nachman is talking about, it means that the, the, the Gemara says that every human being is an entire world. And discuss that you know we have our, the fluids in our body. We have salt water, we have fresh water, we have oils, we have a, every, our, our bodies secrete all types of elements that we found in the world. The human buys human world. So we're talking about creating the world anew. This is an illusion to giving the person a new uh, go around, a new go around. And this is what being, Rabbi Nachman continues. 
This is what Mishlei tells us uh, in Proverbs. He said, just as a uh, this causes a separation, a separation, and heaven forbid, but it could be a separation. What makes a separation? Uh, a lack of peace, a separation between husband and wife, a separation between body and soul. That togetherness brings peace and separation brings strife. And we could see that the person who was in the holy temple penalized with it was he got leprosy was the person who spoke slander and the person who spoke slander separated between husband and wife so separated between husband and wife what did Hashem do Hashem gave him an equivalent punishment where he would be separated from other people because as a leper a person would have to go out on his own to a leper colony or someplace reserved for lepers and he couldn't be within society until he, he cleans himself up because he created strife. This is the opposite of prayer. And the opposite of prayer is war creates strife in the world. Okay, so strife in the world is, again, people that are separating. Okay, we now move up to we are in letter Yud in Likrite Moran, Torah 14. And this is an explanation of the original verse that we spoke about, Tiku. Tiku Yom Chagenu. Uh, this is a, a verse from Isaiah chapter 22. And we learn that uh, the tiku is a play on words. I'm not going to go into explain the whole play on words because I'm going to for down and finish, finish today's Torah uh, until, until we get up to the part about Hanukkah that we'll do next week, Bezat Hashem. Okay, tiku connotes peace. And Isaiah alludes to it in chapter 22. It means that the, uh, what fix he's talking about fixing tiku yeted yeted man. I will affix something as a stake in a secure place. Secure place. So this tiku is secure security. That's peace. Okay. Behold the shofar, and that's an elevation. What's a shofar? That we blow the shofar to elevate to announce Hashem to announce the new month and the elevation. The shofar is an elevation of Shem's glory. And this is it, the sound of the shofar. It goes up to the heavenly throne and going up to the heavenly throne. It's actually, it's the aspect of elevating Hashem's glory up to the heavenly throne. Okay. And it says, we, it says further, this is Yira. What, what is Yira? How do we know if a person has Yira, if a person has awe of Hashem? Ah, this is something in the heart. Only Hashem can know that. So this is what the Gemara tells us. This is what the Torah says. When the Torah says, um, don't harbor hate for another person or don't uh, cause anguish to another human being, and you shall fear your Shem. You shall follow the Shem. So this, only a Shem knows when a person can act nice thing, can harbor hate in his heart for another person. And maybe he's got a nice smile. Oh, he's got, you know, his politically correct smile. But he's got hate in his heart. Ooh, hold it. Every single moment that a person harbors hate in his or her heart for another human being, it's a transgression of Torah. So only Hashem can know that. Okay, only Hashem can know that. And this is the, what we talk about, Chagenu, Chagenu, with Yom Chagenu, the day of our, our, our festival, the day of our festival. This is talking about prayer. Because a prayer is a day, on a festival day is a day when we come to the Holy Temple, and a day we do special festival work. And this is, uh, the our festivals in Torah, they correspond to prayer. That's divine service. And the Torah asks, why is the Torah chapter on idolatry adjacent to that of festivals? And that's to teach that anyone who disgraces the festivals, it's as if he serves idolatry. So we know that the festivals are a day where it's especially idolatry is a defamation of Hashem's name. And so if a person serves the festivals right by coming to the Holy Temple and serving Hashem, it's uplifting Hashem's glory. And the festival is an aspect of complete service to Hashem. So if someone wants to have the glory of Hashem, has to uplift, uplift his, his fear of Hashem, uplift his awe of Hashem, and by uplifting one's all of Hashem, we bring our hearts closer to Hashem. And intrinsically and automatically, we elevate Hashem's glory. 
And that's the aspect. That's what prayer does. And that's what prayer does. And we say, uh, what, are the, what does King David say in Psalm 145? That Hashem, everything you do is good and all your pious ones will bless you. And who are the pious ones? They're the ones that have awe of Hashem, and they're the ones that succeed in extolling Hashem's honor and uplifting Hashem's glory. And they're the ones that have the privilege of speaking of Hashem's kingdom, and they talk of His might. So this is what we say, Tov Hashem Lakol. Why is Hashem good to everyone? Hashem lets us. What king do you have access to? If you take a, somebody, if I write a letter to some Haver Knesset, and I want to vent with them. I don't like something he's doing or something is blotting through it. Not even answer me. And, and not even the secretary. It's not even somebody you voted for. They're not going to bother answering you. And it's rare that you get an answer. And he, a member of Knesset or, or the president of the United States or even your state senator. Shashem, come on, all these useless, powerless people that here today are gone tomorrow like chaff in the wind. And Hashem lets us talk to him whenever we want. And Hashem answers our prayers. What greater gift in the world? And through prayer, a person merits. The more we pray, the more we extol Hashem's name, the more we extol Hashem's name, the more we bring universal peace. And that is why we say when we realize all this, then uh, King Solomon says that what does it mean to be pious? It means to be pious in the soul. That the soul controls the body. That's a pious person. Okay. And then uh, that piety extols Hashem's name. Bo Hashem, we made it up here and did a little bit of running. Next next week, we're going to start letter 14, and that is Hanukkah. We have our concluding letter 14 and Torah 14, and it comes out perfectly synced. That letter 14, the rest of Torah 14 talks about Hanukkah, and that's right away with Hanukkah tonight. We're talking about Hanukkah, the first candle. Uh, it will be broadcasting in Houston. It'll be before they light the first candle. And I'll be on the air, Bezalat Hashem, after I light my first candle and all sites in between. And so we look forward to the air of Hanukkah. Look, seems to everybody next week. Bezalat Hashem, have a wonderful week. And let's hear good news from each other.